Gentlemen, let us broaden our minds. Lawrence? And welcome, friends, to the first Monkey See Monkey Review podcast of the brand new year, 2022. Uh, if you've not listened to Monkey See Monkey Review before, you are very welcome. Uh, I'm Scott, and I'm joined each time out by one or more members of the Monkey See family to talk about what we've been watching, uh, including recent releases, those things flying under the radar, and some all-time classics. Basically, we're here to wax lyrical about the experience of watching movies, because that's what we love to do. Basically, think of it like Total Recall, but you can hear the three tits instead of seeing them. So, this week, I am joined by two magnificent gentlemen. First of all, he's so money, and he doesn't even know it. It's Mr. Kevin Haney. Hello there. Happy New Year to you both. Happy good New to, Year to, to you too, sir. How are you? Yes, very good. Thank you very much. Hope you're well. Good, Hope good. everyone's well. Yes, very well indeed. Very well indeed. And down the other end of the phone line, uh, and joining us just for a short time today, as he's got to dash off to do some some other things, he is truly the brightest witch of his age. It's Mr. Christopher Commander. Hello. <laughs> How like are you, that. Chris? You didn't warn me about that. That was good. No. I like that one. <laughs> yes. Well, it had to be. And knowing, knowing you're a fan, did you see the, uh, the 20th anniversary? Did. I most certainly did. How did you find it? I found it uh, emotional in a, in, a, in a different sort of way. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I sort of got into the, the Harry Potter saga through... Uh, Oh, they're coming to take us away. <laughs> he's here, he's here. <laughs> Nurse, he's out again. <laughs> I kind of got into the, the Harry Potter saga, sort of being introduced to the films, uh, and then read the books, and sort of overtook the films, overtook the films with the books. Sure. Um, so yeah, I, I really uh, I really enjoyed it. Again, like you know, I found it, found it emotional. I found the earlier stages and kind of the inception of the films... Uh, those sections to be more interesting it, it felt like they were almost in a bit of a rush to get to the end I'd have liked just a little bit more yeah, yeah. meat to it because there was some really interesting stuff around kind of the making of and some of the relationships and yeah, um, yeah it seems I'm, like I'm they gonna, shifted focus. I'm going to say something quite yeah. controversial I found it a little bit bland unfortunately I was actually really looking forward to it. Um, obviously, we're talking about Harry mm. Potter Return to Hogwarts, right? Just to clarify that. Yeah. Yes, yes. Okay, right, yeah, but just check it. And, um, and to be honest, I think if I... I mean, obviously, I'm a big Harry Potter fan, but um, I, I don't think there was anything really in that that wouldn't have been found by a fan on a DVD or Blu-ray like some years earlier. They just looked It's a really interesting that you say that because I felt exactly the same. I came away, I didn't know what to expect and I didn't know yeah. what I wanted out of it, but there were some lacking elements that I was like, I've seen all this behind the scene footage before. Yeah, they were just. I've, I've seen yeah. it all. They, they were just telling the, um, same, the same anecdotes, but slightly greyer or with a beard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think yeah. the I think the appeal for me, and I think this is probably where it the, the, some of the shine went off it throughout the course of it was those people seeing each other for the first time in a long time and that reminiscence. Uh, the bit that I was really looking forward to, and the bit that I probably enjoyed more than anything, was um, Daniel Radcliffe meeting Gary Oldman 
that was lovely. The first that time. Was, yeah, I, I thought that was, that was terrific. I thought I thought a lot of those. I, I thought a lot of what probably happened was they turned up for the production. They met up again, kind of off camera, and then they were like, "That's brilliant. Do that again, but do it on camera now." Because some of the yeah. so, some of the meetings as well, they were literally like, "Oh, hey, how are you doing? Oh, great." And it seemed. Yeah, it, it, it was kind of like very. I don't mean to say it because I, like, I love Warner Brothers as you know generally as a studio and everything like that. But I, I, it felt a bit manufactured in that respect and a little bit more like. Yeah, you there, know? there was a couple moments yeah. that that it, I don't know if they rushed to get it out. There were a couple moments where the the sound levels were just weird, <laughs> and I was like, I don't. It feels like there wasn't enough polish in it in some aspects. Yeah, which is really odd considering the way everything usually, from Warner Brothers especially, but stuff like that, yeah. that everyone would have been waiting for. Funnily enough, I think with all of the recent reunions, be it that Friends reunion, which seemed a little bit forced as well, or that Fresh Prince reunion that was done during kind of mm. lockdown and everything like that as well, it was probably the least enjoyable. But I felt like I, and, and when I, I sort of put it on, I was like, oh, wow, this is 90 minutes. This is essentially the length of the movie, which basically means they'll stick this on another DVD release when they re-release everything again for everyone to buy. Right. And <laughs> yeah. I was looking at that and I was just kind of like, oh, this guy, oh, also noticed oddly it had a 15 rating so i was like well here we go maybe someone will drop an f-bomb or something like that Ooh. but i could see no reason why it was what was a 15 which was really bizarre as well so there were kind of two expectations i had that were kind of a little bit dashed but i got through it and i was a bit like oh that was nice but the only thing i really took away was they're a family they were certainly a family because they kept saying that over and over and over yeah. again i did think at one point i'd accidentally put a fast and furious film on <laughs> the amount of references to family <laughs> yeah no but i i think i think you i think you hit the nail on the head it was it was enjoyable but there wasn't any you know they tried to make emma and i, I don't know they tried to make emma and, and tom's relationship more than it was like it was a, a secret like ooh reveal yeah, it felt yeah, like that weird. was kind of shoe, like, oh. shoehorned in last minute, a little bit like, do you remember when, um, during the Friends reunion, where there was that whole thing back and forth about Jennifer Aniston and um, David Schwimmer possibly having a relationship during the production, mm. and that kind of hit the papers accidentally, didn't it? So it seemed like they were trying yeah. to find something they can manufacture, but then like that, and again, sorry to keep referring to it, but like the Fresh Prince one, there was that um, part right in the middle where he went back to the uh, the original kind of Aunt, Aunt Viv, wasn't it, and, um, and, and basically apologised, Will Smith apologised for getting, or being part of her being released from the production initially. And it was like these, these moments in all the reunions where there was some big drop, be it accidental or manufactured, where they were like, here's a bit of information that will make it worth you watching this. And you're like, wow, that was really good. And there was no takeaway from that. And to be honest, had I didn't feel I was any the wiser about anything when when the show finished. Mm. No, I think for a bit of New Year's Day viewing, just a little bit of sort of visual wallpaper, something to make you feel warm and cozy and comfortable. Uh, I think it was it was quite nice. I it think was lovely. with the with the way that we are wanting to go in and, and find out that those sort of details around the production. Uh, it, it was probably a bit light in that respect. It was very much a for the sort of thing for the general public mm. to kind of reminisce on, rather than um, kind of the, the detail hounds like ourselves. Yeah, which I guess is is written into the word reunion. It's about the yeah. same rather yeah. than the production. I would l- I would love them to have all been in a room together and just like just like been a fly on the wall. And just listen to it rather than watching the same clips over and over again and going back and having... Yeah. I mean, I, I appreciate yeah. they shot it all on different days, but wouldn't it have been great if they could have got them all together for 90 minutes, you stick a camera in the corner of the room and just listen to listen to them talk. Chat yeah. Talk. yeah. Yeah. 
Anyway, but no, it was it. it was a lovely. You're right. It was a lovely New Year's Day. Just relax, and it was lovely to see them again. It was really sad to see all the names as well. Like, yeah, wow, that was a bit over the yeah. course of however long, over twenty years, seeing all the people that they've lost. I still want to give but, Robbie yeah. Robbie Coltrane a big hug, though he still looks huggable. Oh yeah. my goodness! <laughs> Didn't you just want to cuddle him at the end? Yeah. My goodness. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The 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 people I was watching it with, they, they had uh, had some moist eyes at various points through that. Uh, although uh, I have to say, my daughter was rather awestruck when you had the the trio of Tom Felton, uh, Matthew Lewis, and Alfie Enoch together because uh, they've all blossomed into very handsome gentlemen. Very handsome men. <laughs> very handsome gentlemen. So she she went a little bit unnecessary at that point. She <laughs> went unnecessary. Uh-huh. Now the odd thing, the odd thing was, my my eyes were indeed moist as well. There were many points where I got caught up in what it was trying to do, so I completely went with it. Yeah. Just at the end of it, I was yeah. like, oh yeah. <laughs> but it's a bit like the new yeah, the new series right. of Cobra Kai, isn't it? That's kind of like it's got to a point now where they've kind of done all they can really do with it. So they're going through the motions, but it knows what it's doing and it does it well. No. <laughs> mm. so, yeah. So you go. This isn't really Absolutely. particularly good TV, but it's doing what I want it to do, and I'm feeling the way I need to feel because I don't know how to feel anymore. <laughs> Welcome to 2022. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, 2022. <laughs> right, uh, apart from that, uh, we are a movie podcast after all, so what, gentlemen, are the, are the things that you've been highlighting and what are the things that you've been enjoying most of recent uh, of recent times? I've seen, I've seen a, a couple of films, so... Um... Uh, most recently, so cinematically, so what we're going to talk about really, I suppose, is this side of uh, of of the new year, so 2022 releases. Absolutely. So let's talk about Licorice Pizza, shall we? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah? Very, yeah. So uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's 70s set nostalgic romantic comedy drama story. It, it's it's a really hard one to pin down, but it's... Uh, it's a film. It's, it's a, a film about, a, like, nothing but everything, isn't it? Yes, yeah, that's a very, very good way of... Very good way of putting it. So the the story charts the relationship between a, a high school student who is who used to be a successful child actor, and his friend who is nominally in her in her mid twenties in inverted commas, um, and their blossoming friendship over the years. And as I say, set in California in the nineteen seventies. So Kev, how did you find? Uh, PTA's newest film. Now I found it uh, well th- th- straight out the gate. I loved it. Right now with PT Anderson, and I I love most PT Anderson films. Um, let's just be honest. I, you know, I, I would say as a filmmaker, he's probably the most consistent filmmaker with the most varied kind of CV in relations to subject matter. You know, the funny yeah. thing is, is every film kind of feels and seems of a, you know a certain quality, and that's what PT Anderson seems to deliver. Someone that genuinely cares. Where he's making a really thought-provoking movie about really serious subjects, something like you know There Will Be Blood, um, or um, mm-hmm. he's adapting stuff like Inherent Vice or anything like that. There always seems to be a weight of quality to it. Now, one of my favourite PT Anderson films is one of his shortest, and that's Punch drunk love and i think that licorice pizza bears the most resemblance to punch drunk love in that sense of it's something about uh, you know it's about love and it's about a, a, a place in time and whereas i think that punch drunk love is a little bit more kind of flight of fancy this seems to be based in a kind of still fantasy but a kind of like a more re- real place you know where people in the 70s yeah. are dealing with things and i felt like obviously i wasn't around in the 70s and especially not in la um, I, I, you know, I felt like I was there at that place in time, and there was stuff that didn't mean much. And but at the end of the film, you're kind of like, oh, I wonder where that plot thread went, or I wonder where that storyline went. And it didn't need to go anywhere. It was just something that was like, here's a feeling, 
Are you immersed? You're immersed? Well, let's tell you this story of this kind of like on-off relationship or will-they-won't-they, they, isn't it? That's what they keep calling it, the will-they-won't-they they yeah. relationship. And I thought the two central performances and that chemistry, you've got the film kind of like flies or falters on that. And he nailed that straight out the gate. And I was like, this yeah. is going to be brilliant. I, I had heard such good things about it going in that I was a little bit kind of like oh, apprehensive of it. Um, I was very fortunate as well. And I think I mentioned this to you, Scott, that I caught it on a 70 millimeter print. Um, which means yeah. it's the first film I've seen on film. It's certainly the first film I've seen on film this year because it was uh, 2022. It was like the 3rd of, um, 3rd of January when I saw it. Um, but it reminded me how long it's been since I've actually watched a film on film. And I know that there are digital... I, I think it's, it's kind of like... Down in London, it seems to be playing in the majority of independent cinemas, whereas I think more kind of like um, up in sort of North Midlands ways, it, it's, it's more multiplexy, isn't it, Scott? Did you, you, did you see it in a multiplex? It's... I saw it in a multiplex, so I saw it at the, the Broad Street uh, uh, Cineworld uh, on one of the bigger screens as well, which was was really good. Um, I, I think it I think it deserved that. I, I think, given the fact that it's it's that smaller independent release, it could have been lost or or kind of slid into one of the smaller screens. But it it was a well attended, bigger auditorium screening which was great there are a lot of uh the independent cinemas that are either showing it from the past week or they're picking it up from this week yeah it's had a weird release so, schedule wasn't it because it's kind of it was it, it was really has. kind of like a new year's day release wasn't it though i know it played slightly before new year because it needs to play slightly before new year in and around london i think to qualify for rewards if, if you go for, yeah whereas cause, and it, they oh, even oh, managed sorry, go I was just going to say they even managed to get a, a few screenings of it up at the uh, the Broadway in Nottingham as well, just literally before New Year. Yeah, so, wonderful. So that's great. Um, so that will qualify because obviously it opened slightly before, didn't it? Um, in in the, yeah. in the states, so it's been around a little while in the states. And um, yeah, I think it it was kind of like it didn't really run the festival circuits much, did it? Because I was expecting something. I, I, to be honest, I expected that to be my surprise film at the London Film Festival last year, uh, and it wasn't. Yeah. But um, but I'd heard such good things about it, so a little bit apprehensive. But the seventy millimeter, if you get a chance to see it on seventy millimeter or or even thirty five millimeter, because I think there's some thirty five millimeter prints going around, it's it kind of just adds to it. It adds to that seventies aesthetic and everything. Though oddly enough, yeah. when you watch any P.T. Anderson film, that kind of like misty look about do you know what i mean they all kind of look they look the same don't they in the same kind of style yeah. and you know it's a really odd thing which really suits to it so even when you're watching a film that not that this is fluffy but when you see a film that's not quite as intense or deep or trying to make a point like some of his other films you feel like this is a film of worth and quality and that's why i think really draws yeah. you in and when you come out and someone says what was licorice pizza around like you just said to me i'd be like what was it about and i'd be like oh, i sort of it's kind of it's more of a if you go watch it you'll feel what it's about as opposed to me come out and yeah. tell you what it's about you know what i mean and i know some people have said it's kind of like a series of vignettes and sketches almost in a way i think the consistency in the through line with that couple relationship not to mention all of the you know a-listers that pop up now and again that don't really distract but really kind of enhance the mm. uh, the film itself i think it really just feels like a quality film not about anything specifically but about everything <laughs> which is yeah just yeah which is a weird review i suppose i love it i absolutely. loved it no no it's, sure. yeah i i loved it as well i thought it was it was absolutely absolutely fantastic i think i said in, in the written review that i put up on letterbox there was one slightly awkward recurring racist joke that sort of set my teeth on edge a little bit um and, but i i found it absolutely absolutely charming um i think because of the nature of gary's character being this child actor in his in his late teens 
always looking for the next hustle and, and incredibly confident, incredibly overconfident in himself and his own abilities. Uh, it could have been a really grating character. It could have it could have really turned you off. But I thought Cooper Hoffman was just he was so charming and so so great. Uh, I didn't even know that he was, I didn't much, know he was Philip Seymour Hoffman's son until I read up on it after. I was aware that it was Philip Seymour Hoffman's son, and there is one moment quite close to the beginning where uh, Gary and Alana share a smile as they're waiting in line for the for the photos, and it was like for just a split second his dad was on the screen, oh. and then I forgot about him for the rest of the film because he was very much his own his own actor. But it, it was just it was a really lovely moment where you could just see that family trait in them and it's a real film about about family as well because um obviously philip seymour hoffman had uh, a lot of a lot of work with pt anderson um and so to have cooper carrying on the the tradition of, of performing in his films was lovely um interesting little side point is that um so alana heim's mum who actually appears in the film was one of uh paul thomas anderson's teachers and so yeah, he, he has been friends with the family, and so consequently, uh, all three Heim sisters uh, and the mum and the dad all appear in the film. I, um, I I was I was blown away. I mean, obviously we're we're about to work to her, aren't we, Alana? Uh, Alana Heim, yeah, is it Heim, isn't it? Who was? Heim, yeah. It's her film, isn't it? She is. She, it is yeah. her film. It's all about her. Like you go in from the yeah. from the moment if you're lucky enough to go in and see like the poster image. It's got a wonderful poster, as most P.T. Anderson films do. Like a nice animated poster with kind of like caricatures of all the characters and everything. And you go in, you watch yeah. it, and you fall in love with her the moment you see her. The same way. Um, that, yeah. that Cooper Hoffman's character does, and any with it. But yeah, you're right. The entire Heim family, and I, um, I then went after this because I, 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 I've known of, I've known of Heim, but I've not listened to any of their music. And I went away and just YouTubed a bunch of their stuff and realised that much, we'll say much of. There's many music videos that's been directed by P.T. Anderson, and he had this yeah, kind of absolutely. relationship with them anyway. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I absolutely agreed. She is absolutely luminous in the film. Um, and you know, for for what I, I think is a is certainly a first major film role, she was absolutely absolutely brilliant. I think all all three of the sisters did a great job, but obviously because the the focus is primarily on Alana, she was just wonderful. Just also kind of picking up on some of the other little little bits around the edges that um, one of the uh, one of Steven Spielberg's daughters appeared in it, as did Leonardo DiCaprio's dad. <laughs> um, that. And it's nice to see, as like you say, such as John C. Riley and Benny Safdie, uh, Sean Penn, Tom Waits, all turning up in in these smaller, uh, smaller roles, and of course Bradley Cooper, who yeah has, has been getting a lot of uh, a lot of great press for, for what is admittedly an extended cameo, but um, but a great fun within that time. I was I was very surprised how much of the film in the trailer isn't actually in the film. If you go back and watch the trailer, yeah. having seen the film. There's a lot of it where you're like, yeah. oh, there must be a load of stuff on the cutting room floor that I can't wait for a two-disc DVD to come out of. That, that's going to be great. So if you get the opportunity to to catch Licorice Pizza, both from myself and Kev, uh, it's a hearty recommendation. I think it's uh, it's well, it's definitely both of our first five-star films of the year. And I, I know 
from Kev's previous podcast, they they used to have a saying that if the film, if this film is in my, is not in my top three or five at the end of the year, it's been a very very good year, and I think <laughs> Licorice Pizza is definitely in that category. I think, um, I think we could be looking at certainly, certainly one of my top five films for the year, unless we have an absolutely staggering twenty twenty two ahead of us. I am going to pick up a little bit of, of, of kind of a, a tonal similar, similarity with one of the films that I've seen recently in a little while, but I'm going to hand over to our handsome Mr. Commander, because I'm aware he's only he's only with us. We've only got him on borrowed time oh, today. So, borrowed uh, time. <laughs> not literally. Um, <laughs> but wanted to talk about, because we're, we're, today we are going to be talking about our uh, favourite films of 2021, our top threes. A uh, little bit of discussion around some of the surprises. Uh, the lovely Craig, who's not with us today, has sent his uh, contributions in as well. But we wanted to just quickly, before Chris has to head off and do important things, touch on one of the films that just missed out of his uh, his top three for the year and slip straight in with, uh, with your favourite. So Chris, tell us a little bit more about the film that just missed out oh, of your top three. Just missed out my top three. Um... It is called The Power of the Dog, which is from uh, a wonderful New Zealand writer-director, Jane... Is it Campion? Campion, yeah. Campion. She hasn't done anything for... She, uh, this is her first new movie for the past decade or something, 11 years. Yeah. Um, and it's... Uh, at the helm, the actor at the helm is uh, our Benedict Cumberbatch. And uh, it's... It's the story of a Montana rancher in the 1910s, 1920s. Um, yes. And it's all about America during that time, sort of cowboy-esque, rugged masculinity and and all about the land of Montana. Um, and if I'm not mistaken... No, I, I know this is a fact. This is a fact, everyone. I'm saying this is a fact. It's, uh, it's an ad- adaptation of a book by uh, by thomas savage it's just it's just a really good introspective about um family and relationships and what sort of the land does to you as a rancher if that makes any sense it's hard not to give spoilers i guess it is um, yeah kirsten dunce is in it um she's she's great uh it's been a while since i've seen her do anything to be honest um but she's great in it uh, who else is in it? Uh, it's also got Jesse Plemons in it as well, who turning up in lots of things and always gives a, a, a quality performance. I felt with with his role in this, um, he was almost a little sidelined, a little a little muted. Obviously, dependable and, and, and absolutely fine, mm. but it wasn't necessarily his film. It's as you say, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, um, Kirsten Dunst, and Cody Smith McPhee as well, uh, who yes. plays uh, Rose's. So who, who just just uh, won the golden Glo- George, just yeah. won the golden globe for it for supporting didn't he? Oh, indeed he did. Yes, yes, as as best supporting actor. So yeah, and and, and kind of the dynamic between uh, between his character and Benedict Cumberbatch's character is is great. A real sort of exploration of, of of masculinity in that in that period and how um, people that were different were were sort of treated and 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 viewed. Uh, it's so it, like like Chris said. It is really difficult to kind of get into uh, get into the minutiae of 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 the 
progression of the character without getting into spoilers. I but, think uh, to, yeah. to give for those for those of you who haven't seen it or don't know anything about it, to give you a bit of a slight overview, um, it's all about things that aren't said. It's all about secrets. It's I could classify it as a psychological thriller, not as deep as like identity or something, but it's it's all about the psyche and about the relationships. Yeah, definitely. So just to kind of summarize the the the, the Jesse Plemons character who's the brother of the Benedict Cumberbatch character, uh, Maris uh, Maris Rose and her and her son move out to this Montana ranch. Uh, the relationship between the t- the two brothers it's quite almost quite a fractious, almost mm. to the point of bullying that um, <laughs> that uh, Jesse Plemons' character is constantly referred to as, as Fatso yes. throughout it, uh, and and he's so Benedict Cumberbatch plays Phil, and he this character is he is he's a really interesting character because he's quite violent in a lot of ways, and he's 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 quite petulant, and he's quite mm. um, territorial. And having these new people in his territory that don't necessarily fit with his his worldview, and he he becomes quite insidious and quite and quite mean. He's quite sort of outwardly mean to um, <laughs> to his brother George. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a really interesting, uh, really interesting, a really really excellent performance. Um, it, he's had. A hell of a year, really. A hell of a twenty twenty one, as old Benedict. But mm. uh, I, I would say this is probably probably the highlight. I mean, what what were your feelings of the film overall? Because I I I found it really absorbing. I don't know if I got as much out of it as I would have hoped. Uh, I think I had quite high expectations, and I really enjoyed it. And I, th- I think it stuck with me. Um, and the more I kind of thought about it, the 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 more I kind of appreciated it. Um, how did you how did you find it i think i need to watch it again i in yes i I don't think i appreciated it to the extent that i that i will on a second viewing um it didn't Mm. it didn't strike me like one of my favorite films um of recent years is is promising young woman and it didn't hit Mm. me as hard in the psychological love of psychology that i have uh as i I sort of (laughs) thought it would but it's a good introspective and i think I think on a second viewing, I'll appreciate the minutiae of of certain acting subtleties and stuff a bit more because I was really trying to absorb the whole scope of the thing the first time around. No, I, and that that's one thing that I really can't sing enough praises about is the scope of the film, the the Montana landscape, mm-hmm. and the just the absolute beauty of it. Um, Jane Campion really captures it well. Um, and I, I, I don't think I get, I had the, the optimum viewing of it because it was on a comparatively small, good quality television. But I think when you've got a larger, a larger screen and a larger opportunity to watch it, I think those vistas would be absolutely stunning. Yeah. Um, but, but it was a, a very, very handsomely mounted film for sure. Excellent. So if you are interested in checking out uh, the Power of the Dog, which will be. Uh, one of the front runners, I'm, I'm guessing, in awards season this year. Uh, it's currently available on Netflix, so please give that a uh, 
a view. Let us know what you think on our social media. Yeah, just, so, just so I know as well. As well Jane Campion picked up Best uh, Director as well, and it was named Best Drama at the Golden Globe. Oh, so awesome. it just goes to show how, yeah, that's correct, how well yeah. that's done as well. It performed really well on the festival runs and was like, I think when people initially saw it, they saw it like cinematically. And I think what you were just saying there, Scott, as well, I think they saw those vistas, saw everything. And uh, Cody Schmidt-McPhee, who's... Uh, do you remember Slow West with Michael Fassbender? That was like one of his first roles. Yes. He seems to be kind of in, in kind of like ingrained in that kind of Western kind of like, you know, universe. It's that kind of thing where he seems to suit really well and uh, much deserved Golden yeah. Globe to show that. Definitely. I, yeah, he, he was he was really good. It was a really lovely, by comparison with Benedict Cumberbatch's character, who's very, was a real sort of force of nature in the film. His is a lot quieter and a lot more, uh, a lot more sensitive performance. I think that the contrast of the two is really lovely. And I think the progression of their relationship throughout the course of the film is, you know, is, is really, really good. And I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm a fan of his because uh, he was Norman in Paranorman, which uh, uh, we, we know my love of Leica animation and, <laughs> and he's great in that. So, <laughs> so yeah, that that's Paradox dog that is on Netflix now. So Chris, we're going to move on to your top three Ooh, okay. of 2021. Good. And so, here's with it. Let us let us know what are your favourite films of 2023. I think I picked. Uh, 2023. 20... Sorry, I'm gonna. I'm yeah, gonna no, you say that, that again. again. Yeah. So, Chris, what are your favourite films of 2021? Let's get the let's get the year right. <laughs> now that's oh god, that's so, it, it was difficult picking because there were a lot of films that came out last year and some that I saw very close to Christmas, which feel like 2022 films. Um, it's hard <laughs> not to want to mention Spider-Man. Just go see it. That's my my only thought on it right now because we can't just go see it. There you go. That's all I have to say. Yeah. Um, but in terms of ones that you can uh, don't have to go to the theatre to see at the moment, um, oddly enough, an animated film is one of my top three. Uh, Batman Long Halloween, which was split into two parts. And it's really interesting mm -hmm. that I find that the Marvel Cinematic Universe takes my heart for the love of, of what they what Marvel does with Marvel properties on film. And oddly enough, DC does the opposite does the same for animated films. I love the DC animated films more than I love the Marvel animated films, and I love the Marvel live action more than I like the uh, animated films but it is really good it's based on on the comic of the same name and uh there's a few twists and turns that are different from the comic so if you like the comic um watch the film you'll be pleasantly surprised it's really well done uh the voices are great as always and um i was awaiting the second half when when part two came out i was waiting for it it's really good um there are some moments that are taken directly out of the comic, just straight out of comic panels, which sort of make you go, oh, that's really nice to see it animated. Mm. Um, uh, and little hints to certain things. I'm not going to give the uh, some of the twists away because that defeats the purpose. But um, that's my first pick. My second is a bit of a cheeky one um, because it's mm -hmm. technically 2020, but it came out over here in 2021 the beginning of the year and you can yeah. watch it from then it's called blithe spirit based on the play of the same name um dan stevens stars in it and it's a it's sort of a black comedy 
in a way. Um, it's a bit lighter than the sort of normal black satires that, that you come across. Um, and it is uh, about a man who is haunted by his um, recently deceased wife. And all of the hilarity that ensues with that and his current new um, woman in his life. Um, he's a writer with, with writer's block, um, and there's some twists and turns included in that storytelling. It's slightly different from the play, uh, again, which I, I, I appreciate. Um, it's very well done. I thoroughly enjoyed Dan Stevens in pretty much anything he does. Um, just, just to reiterate, I, I, Chris, just to reiterate, he's a comedy, isn't it? <laughs> It's light, lighthearted. Yeah. It's not, <laughs> yes. It's not good. Yes. When you said hilarity ensues, that wasn't a dark drama about that. You said it's like haunted no. by his dead wife and, like, <laughs> and hilarity ensues. And I was like, I'm pretty sure it's a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it, it, it is. It is a comedy. And I found myself um, more than just giggling like you would in the theater. Like, hoo, hoo, hoo. there were some pretty good laugh out loud moments in it. Um, it's And I love a period drama. So, uh I, I, I love the sets and the set dressing and everything. So go watch that. And then my final pick uh, was a movie that we talked about ages ago. Um, around the same time we talked about Promising Young Woman. Um, because I, I, did it get pushed? Did it get pushed back? Something yes, changed it was. It was it. getting... It, it, it was pushed a couple of times, yeah. Pushed a couple of times. Uh, until it was finally released in... Uh, October of uh, of last year. Of last year, and it is Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho, and um, I've recently rewatched it, and it's as spectacular the second time. Um, it's set in two time periods, uh, in the sixties and present day, uh, and it follows the young Ellie who is going down to London to um, to start a career. In, in fashion design um, so she's going to the, the, the London School of, of Fashion and um, she has, it's weird talking about spirits a lot, talking about ghosts um, she has this <laughs> uh, she has this power that she can she, she's kind of haunted in a way, she doesn't know how to use this sort of power, she can see dead people so, so I, a, bit, a, little, to... a, little, a little bit like Michael J. Fox and the Frighteners. Yeah. 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 yeah, 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 yes, yes. The beauty of it is, is it never fully explains no. it. It allows that, it allows the, the, the mystery to, to yes, breathe. Yes, and, that, and, and having which, that mystery uh, helps yeah. the plot along. It doesn't hinder it in any way. In fact, there's a few moments where you not understanding fully how that vision appear is integral to the plot. No, sorry, I, I think talk about this. I think it's like a, it's a psychological condition that kind of is hinted at in a lot of kind of dramas and everything like that. Very similar to one of the frighteners. If you have a traumatic experience or something in your past and it alters your perception, you can see things on different levels. So I think it's yes. that kind of thing. It's, yeah. it's yeah. that, though not directly implied. I think it's kind of. I think that was part of an inspiration for it, which ironically wouldn't surprise me if Edgar Wright had got that inspiration from a Peter Jackson film. Do you know those kind of things? So there's that kind of that weird connection where it exists. Yeah. I think only sort of filmically at the moment, but I think there's um there's like um previous for it in the past. So it's actually like a like in a, an implied condition where it's that kind of like you see things where that other people can't, and are they real or are they not, and everything. And Edgar Wright has yeah. this sort of power to to rationalize those sorts of things in his films. I mean, all of the stuff that he did with Simon Pegg, it's just, it's very fanciful, but oddly grounded. Even even Hot Fuzz, which is ridiculous, you sort of just bought into. And it was like, yeah, you know, 
Of course. Um, and it's everyone in this film is great. It was really fun to see Matt Smith again. I haven't seen him in a while. And Diana Rigg is as incredible as she always was. And um, absolutely majestic, majestic, yeah. a beautiful woman. Um, and uh, Anya Taylor Joy is in it, and she, I love watching her and stuff. And uh, oh, Thompson McKenzie as well is uh, is um, she's really great. She's re- I, I found her riveting in her quietness, but then she has moments yeah. where she is full on, full on dramatic and. Uh, and and she she holds everyone holds that film together really well. I didn't I didn't yeah. not enjoy a single moment of that film. And I'm also I just want to just just before we just before I wrap oh, yeah. up on it, I just want to say, after watching some of the behind the scenes stuff, the amount of stuff they did, uh, as physical effects, blew my mind. If you get chance to see it and then look at some of the behind the scenes stuff, there's a dance in it that happens, which I won't ruin for you. And two time periods happen at the same time, and they did it as a physical effect, and it's genius. There's a there's a awesome yes. DVD coming out in about two weeks' time, towards the end of January, which is like a nice, really well-packed Blu-ray DVD uh, with tons of features on it, and there's loads of that stuff in there, so I'm really looking forward to that. Oh, I can't wait. Can't wait. Yeah, me too. That's going to be great. Yeah, the, the Cabaret de Paris dance sequence, the... Uh, the sleight of hand in it is is oh. just it's just cheap it's just cheeky. It, it exactly. is. It really is. Sorry, I was just going to say that's that's <laughs> that's the, a complete understanding. I'm very excited about it. Is the complete understanding of uh, camera movement and blocking and understanding what your actors can and cannot do and how you want to tell this story. And then even in the fleeting images, fleeting moments with certain actors, also telling stories while the camera is moving. Just mwah, mwah. French kiss, no, um, chef's kiss, but French kiss as well. <laughs> it's, it's that yeah, good. I, mean, I would French kiss it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Go and French kiss Edgar Wright. I'm sure he'd be. Uh, he'd, he'd take. I, I, uh, I just want to yeah, shout a nice big shout out for last night in Soho as well. I saw it at the London Film Festival, and um, I, yeah. I saw a um, a subtitle screening for the Hearing Impaired. And it's really weird when you start when you go along to watch a subtitle screening. Um, you get even you get audio descriptions of the score or the soundtrack, everything that's going on. And there are parts of the film where I was watching it, and then there'd be brackets, uh, and it would be like ominous sound. And I was looking at it, and I was thinking, do you know what? I hadn't interpreted this bit of score as an ominous sound. Isn't that really weird? So it's like the film was like telegraphing me, sort of saying, you should be feeling uneasy now because this type of music's playing. And then when I went to see it, um, when it got the general release, um, it didn't have the subtitles on. And I was watching it, I was like, I don't know what to think. <laughs> it's really weird. And finally, I went to, uh, I, I saw it in the, um, when I went to see it on general release, I saw it on uh, Halloween night um, at the, although so the 30th, the mm. Saturday before Halloween, which was the Sunday. And I saw it at the um, Haymarket, um, w- which is now um, an empire, which is the film where, which is the cinema where Thunder, where, where that big sequence is before they go into Cafe de Paris. And um, I saw it at that screening with Edgar Wright introducing it. And Edgar Wright said when they were filming it at the, the initially, they had to put the big marquee, Thunderball. Um, on the marquee and the, while they were filming it doing the ins and outs they'd noticed that a queue had formed down the street and when um, the police who were helping security and for that went and asked people what they were queuing for they said we're queuing to see Thunderball <laughs> and it was like no no it's just the marquee don't worry this is not we're filming a film and they were like oh <laughs> that's brilliant <laughs> I'll, I'll love stuff like and I yeah I'll just um, I'll just weigh in with my 
Super Panathon last night in Soho as well, because that was one of my highlights of last year. Um, agree with everything that has been has been said. Uh, I think a couple of the the revelations that w- was so perfectly pitched. You know, a film hits the sweet spot when it actually prompts chuckles out of me. Of you know that was that was good. That was very very good. So uh, so yeah, I I'm, I'm a big fan of that. So. Chris, thank you very much for for weighing in on your three for the year. My pleasure. Um, And thank you for for coming and joining us. It's been lovely to have you back with us again. Thank you. Um, It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And uh, Happy New Year to to, to all of our listeners. (laughs) I will see. I I will talk in your ear holes at some point else in the future. Excellent. Look forward to look forward to speaking to you soon, Chris. And Bye, uh, take care and have a, have a lovely evening because it's Thank it's evening when we're recording this. And uh, myself and the handsome Mister Haney are going to roll on. Thank you, and it's always lovely to have Chris on on the team. Uh, so before yeah. we roll on with our twenty twenty one reviews, we've got a couple of other recent releases uh, that we want to talk about. So I'm going to pick up mine first because I had the uh, pleasure of attending one of the Cineworld secret screenings very very recently and had the opportunity to watch uh, another one of the the big oscar contenders this year um as kenneth branner's belfast so it's a semi-autobiographical tale of his life growing up in in belfast during the troubles and it's very very similar i sort of referred to when we were talking about licorice pizza in that nostalgia tinged semi-autobiographical tale there's very much a series of, of vignettes um, leading to leading to its eventual destination. So there are lots of there, there's no kind of overarching story. It's it's around kind of the, the, the central character Buddy's upbringing. So living primarily with his mum and his older brother. Um, so his mum played by Catriona Balfe, who was last seen in uh, Le Mans '66 a couple of years ago and was was fantastic in that. Uh, and his his dad, who works over in England, uh, played by Jamie Dornan, uh, who has been getting some uh, sort of low key uh, awards nomination buzz as well. And uh, yes, yeah, so it's the story of the effects of the troubles on their street. Uh, that was a, a kind of a, a, an unsegregated. It was a mixed street with both Protestants and Catholics living together. And then things happen. And it, yeah, it's it's a, just really it, it's really sort of evocative of. Of sort of the mood and the time great great soundtrack uh, i've had the song everlasting love in my head pretty much on a loop since uh, uh since the film came out uh when you see the film you will understand it's it's going to be a divisive one because it's being talked talked up quite highly as as basically oscar bait um a, you know a big favorite for for the awards that it's going to have, I think it'll probably have slightly more sort of vehement objection to it as well, because it's it's going to be one of those ones that you either get on board with with the, the tone and the mood, or you're going to uh, you're going to be looking for something that's a lot more sort of story driven and uh, might put a few people off. But I found it uh, it was warm, it was funny, it was it was really tense at points as well. Mention Catherine Balfe's performance; she was lovely in it. Um, Judy Dench is in there as dependable as ever. Jamie Dornan was was great. Um, finally, finally getting the Fifty Shades stank off of him because uh, he's he is he's great in 
in this and I've also been watching him in The Tourist on BBC which has been which has been really really good but well, surely I, I, the th- highlight of his career is Bar, Bar and Star and Vista Del Mar <laughs> That was I, terrific. Where well, I thought that, he was, that I've not yet seen jump. yet, so I'm, I, uh, he, I have heard he steals good the film. He steals the film from like very funny people, but he's yeah. the highlight of that film. I heartily recommend that. Fantastic! I'll have to check that out <laughs> then. Uh, for me, and it, um, I know Kieran Hines was a Golden Globe nominee, but he was he was definitely my uh, definitely my highlight of the film as Buddy's grandfather Pop. He was. Uh, on sort of really, you know, you get a performance that you, you can just describe as kind of twinkly. He's got that twinkle in his eye and he's got this really great sort of poetic turn of phrase and this real warmth about him. And it just, yeah, such a lovely, affecting performance. Um, so, yeah, it was um, shot, shot beautifully, uh, all in black and white, which really, really lends itself to the story. And I, I think when it comes out, cause it's it's still a couple of ways away, a couple of weeks away from uh, general release. I think it will be. I don't think it will be a a hundred percent loved. I think it's getting a lot of sort of critical critical acclaim, but I think uh, I think some of the people that have seen it are, are slightly are slightly erring on the side of, of negative with it. But I you know I I went with it and just had a lovely time, and it was really as I say warm, affectionate, and uh, really. Really funny at points and really, um, really quite touching at points as well. So I, I would heartily recommend it. Yeah, it won screenplay at the Golden Globes as well. Cool. Yes, and it, it is a it is a lovely screenplay. Yeah. And Kev, you've seen something else that's uh, due for due for general release In, very shortly as well. Indeed, I saw Boiling Point, which is the uh, one the one shot drama, the adrenaline hit. People have described it as uncut gems meets Hell's Kitchen <laughs> in the sense of it's kind of like anxiety inducing uh, directed by Philip uh, Barantelli uh, sorry Bar- Barantini rather apologies who also wrote it with James Cummins uh, stars Stephen Graham the man of the moment who is oh. absolutely brilliant playing you know uh, you know, the, the character that only Stephen Graham can play now the film basically takes place in a restaurant and a restaurant kitchen where a head chef wrangles his team on what's supposed to be the busiest day of the year it's like the Christmas rush and basically it's like table 7 has this problem table 13 has a nut allergy there's a problem with the food hygiene certificate and all of this stuff seems to kind of like come and mount to this kind of like this head where boiling point is reached and over the course of this 90 minutes that the film goes on for again all in one take which is and that adds to the whole kind of like pressure and anxiety inducing experience because it basically it's like a tightrope thing and you're watching it and you're going oh my god could you imagine when you look at your watch and you're kind of like you know 50 minutes in you're like could you imagine if somebody hadn't have done the thing they were supposed to do correctly they would have had to have started again from the beginning mm-hmm. and you look at that and sometimes i think when you watch the film and i want to see it again because i want to go back and look at it and go what parts of this were a little bit weaker or a little bit stunted because you always wonder sometimes if someone's like trying to achieve a kind of experiment like this not that it's a gimmick it's not a gimmick but it's certainly something that needs to be said and certainly adds to it like i said you watch it and you think to yourself at what point do you go do you know what that's the perfect that's the perfect take of that 90 minutes do you know what i mean yeah. when you've got a film that's fragmented normally and everything you kind of like you can top and tail and do alternate takes and everything like that improvise a little bit but you have to have something that's technically so well put together with amazing performances but kind of flexibility and naturalism that comes as well from something that you know is so rehearsed and like down to it you know like the everything's been kind of like thought about and you know exhaustively thought about um but it still seems fresh and active you know and a lot of people are like well it's i suppose it's like a play on screen and it it 
yeah, you may be okay. Maybe the rehearsals may have been like that, but it doesn't come across like that at all. And even though it's kind of low budget, it takes place in a really small location. All the actors in it are 100% dedicated. Absolutely brilliant. It feels fresh. It feels punchy. It is a highlight of the year so far. And uh, I know it's available uh, cinematically. You can go and catch it in a cinema, which I'd recommend. It's also available on all your major streaming platforms. Boiling Point, Stephen Graham, 100% um, the best British film of the year so far um, at <laughs> one weekend. <laughs> so ch- check it out. Excellent. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, like you say, Stephen Graham can do very, very little wrong um, and you know, could elevate most material. And having seen the trailer, it does look uh, like a really interesting, really intense watch. Um, that was actually one of the things that was, uh, was, was mooted as a possible for the secret screening that I went to. So I would have been quite happy either way had I got to, had I got boiling point as well. So uh, yeah, I'm <laughs> looking forward to checking that out when it comes out. So from the best British film of the year so far, 10 days in <laughs> we're going to move on to uh what myself and what kev and what our absent friend uh, mr craig woodfield um have listed as our top three films of the year and it'd be interesting to see uh where uh where each of each of our films fall and if we have any common goals because i've obviously got sight of craig's as well but i uh, Kevin hasn't heard mine, and I've not heard Kev's. So this is going to be going in sight unseen. So before we get <laughs> to that point, what I want to do is just a quick chat on any of the films that you felt either are worth a mention of having just missed out this year, or anything that you found not necessarily challenged the the top uh, the top three, but were a big surprise for you in twenty twenty one. What are the films that have that have not not quite made the cut for you? Well, films haven't quite made the cut. What I want to mention, really, is not so much quality of film, really, rather than great cinematic experience. Now, bearing in mind, this was the year where cinema was fortunately open a lot more than it was the year previous, but was still opening, closing, and everything like that. Um, So a couple of great experiences that I had, and one of them was, um, say, back in June for a film that was well postponed before the pandemic, or one one of the first after No Time to Die, which was A Quiet Place Part 2. Quiet Place Part 2 was terrific. um, Really enjoyed it. It was as good a cinematic experience as I hoped it would be, glad they waited and i uh, just wanted to do a big shout out for that um I, you know i might be a little bit controversial in thinking that spider-man uh the new spider-man movie wasn't quite the uh it, it, you know it, it not as far as experience and cinematic experience goes it was absolutely superb and like that i may not be as big a fan of the film as most people but the experience itself was absolutely amazing so just a big shout out for a quiet place part two and spider-man for experience yeah. i don't know if either of those are in your top three scott no so they're not about I, those if they're, they are no they're both um they're <laughs> both not quite making it um i agree with you i went actually went to see uh no way home with chris and uh we uh, it, watching him watch it as, as a massive spider-man fan uh, and reacting to some of the things that happen basically curling up in his chair at points just with the sheer delight of it was yeah. as entertaining as watching the film um, I'm a little disappointed I didn't get to see it on one of the the kind of the, the big kind of opening day screenings with the most rabid of fan bases because I I know what it was like going to see such as um, some of the the early uh, sequel trilogy Star Wars films some of the the bigger Avengers films the the uh, audience reaction wasn't quite as as overwhelming as as I think it might have been in other in other places but i found it i found it really really entertaining uh 
I think I, I, I wouldn't put it on a, a quality level with some of the other big event MCU things, but I just thought I, I, I scored it really highly just for the, um, you know, the love and the care and the, 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 the entertainment value that was in there. And like you say, the big screen, um, the big screen entertainment of it. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan. And, uh, there are things coming out of that, that one day when it's, it's in the public realm, would love to talk a little bit more on. Um, but yeah, so, so they're, they're, I, I agree with you on both of those counts. Wonderful. Another couple of movies I just want to mention. Obviously, it would be remiss of us to not mention Wilderness. Um, I know our, our good friends Neil Fox and Justin John Doherty, that, yeah. um, uh, when they released that earlier in the year, we talked about that on the podcast, and it's still a wonderful film available on streaming that should be worth seeking out. I just want to do another shout-out again, just because um, of friends in it. <laughs> get, yeah. If you get an opportunity, it's available on streaming, and it's also running the independent circuit with Q&As at the moment. Wonderful film called Lapwing. Um, England, 1555. An isolated group of salt farmers arrange a legal passage to Europe for an Indian gypsy family in hiding, but a love affair between Patience, a mute English girl, and Rumi, the son of the Egyptians, threatens to destroy both communities. It's directed by Philip Stevens, written by Laura Turner, and it's got some amazing performances in it, uh, not least by uh, the wonderful Hannah Douglas uh, and friend of mine, um, Sarah Whitehouse, uh, who uh, are absolutely brilliant. It's available on streaming services, and if you do get a chance to catch it, just do a Google search, see if it's playing near you. Uh, it's playing all over the country. Uh, it's definitely worth a look the subject matter it's got an 18 certificate the subject matter may not be for everybody but it's well worth it and um i, I managed to catch this uh, in a cinema in dalston um the rio which is a wonderful cinema as well um and uh, during that there were many people that were in my screening that had traveled far and wide to see it and it's definitely worth seeking out but if you can't get to a cinema to see it catch it on streaming on all the usual platforms lapwing excellent yes yes i'm uh, really glad we're able to obviously give a shout out to to both of those films um brilliant um how about any any big surprises of the year anything that you've uh, you yourself have uh, have been surprised how much you enjoyed yeah do you know what right it's a little amazon film called shadow in the cloud with uh, chloe grace moretz did you see that i did um i'm i, I was considerably less a fan of this film um i have to say <laughs> i think it's <laughs> I put it on, not knowing what to expect. It's a great film if you don't know. I mean, obviously the pitch is that a female World War II pilot travels with top-secret documents in a flying fortress and encounters an evil presence on board the flight. I knew absolutely nothing about it. And when I put it on, I was expecting absolutely nothing and was actually blown away with just how ludicrous and fun it was. I went and recommended it to everybody um, that I would speak to. And uh, when I look back at the year, when I was looking through the list of everything I've seen, I think that was the film that was the biggest surprise because I was expecting so little and got so much. I think for me that the film that's done that the most this year is one that we actually touched on in an earlier episode was Netflix's uh, Love and Monsters because that oh yeah I remember that yeah. came out of nowhere it looked like sort of fairly atypical uh, Netflix fodder uh, some you know, decent decent names in it and not a lot of sort of knowledge around it but it had been getting good word of mouth so I gave it a go and it was just it was just lovely. It was just charming. Not, not the sort of film that would trouble a, a best of list. But you know, I, I ended up watching it. I watched it by myself, and then I watched it with my daughter uh, because I thought she would really, really enjoy it. And it was, it was just fun and funny and uh, incredible special effects. There aren't many, op many times that I'd really, really hope for a sequel for something, but I'd quite like to see them expand this story. 
um, as long as they keep keep the quality. And I thought Dylan O'Brien as the lead uh, was was charming, and um, he has great potential. And and the dog was just adorable. So I think of, of the surprises this year, that's the one that that I would say probably was the biggest surprise because I literally expected nothing from it and just had a a wonderful time. So the films that I've watched this year that just miss out on my top three, I think one one of which slightly links in, uh, they share a, a, the same lead actor, uh, was Riders of Justice, which I found really, really entertaining, really, really funny, but also really dark at the same time. Uh, it's um, the the Danish, almost like comedy drama, also got a, a bit of, uh, almost like a Coen's-esque kind of feel to it uh, with, with kind of the ludicrous characters. But yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed that. Um, I think Dune just sits outside my top three. And this is, this is primarily on a, a technical cinematic spectacle level. I thought it, w- it was just incredible to look at. Uh, I thought the film was, was really, really good. It was, it was some film, but it's like with all of these things where it's a two-part story, how great that is will depend entirely on how Dune Part 2 goes and I think if Dune Part 2 really flies I think it will lift Part 1 if Dune Part 2 is like, disappointing it will almost like bring Part 1 down a little bit because the, the climax isn't as, as great as the the amazing world building that they did you know, throughout the course of Part 1 because that's what Part 1 was, it's laying the foundations for the finale um, and for the the story to really kick into gear, and I thought, you know, I, I just wanted to spend more time in that world and learn more about those cultures, so I found that really, really good. But just not quite loving it enough to to push it push it that little bit higher. No, I can, yeah, I can see that. I think a lot of a lot of people have been saying very much. It's like if you revisit the uh, David Lynch one, yeah. there's a lot to love in that, really. And one of the reasons that yeah. it's a lot to love in that one is the pacing. And uh, you like, I, lo- I love my Denny Villeneuve, but even I was probably a little bit like, this could maybe pick up the pace a little bit. Uh, yeah. Just a couple of things I wanted to note as well, just as it's obviously we're looking back at 2021. Uh, great year for Sony with the yeah. Ghostbusters Afterlife performing really well. Spider-Man passing the you know the first billion dollar pandemic film. That was notable. A um, couple of um, things I just want to note as well was uh, the kind of like almost like pop culture um event of the year or one of them at least um and it was going to be the new matrix film um and whatever you whatever you think of the matrix um the matrix re resurrections it, me. resurrections yeah. <laughs> there we go i'm confused the matrix Revel- uh, resurrections whatever you think of it really it's i'm very surprised just how muted that was when that came yeah. out um in relation to you know we, you know who would have thought that you know we're doing a summary of the year you know year end and the matrix has only just come out and really it doesn't even bear no. a mention um so that's going to be very interesting to see what warner brothers and their um their street their hbo max streaming platform uh, does moving forward because uh, unlike sony that doesn't actually have a streaming platform at the moment um their films seem to be like cannibalizing themselves in that respect yeah. uh, and obviously as well so worth noting but not talking about too much is we probably had one of and they had a good run the first marvel misfires this year in the eternals so yeah you know that's, that was weird too i didn't really enjoy that very much but uh you know it's very odd that uh you know very odd that i didn't uh didn't enjoy it but you know they, they, they were due for one and to be honest i'm kind of happy it was that one and not spider-man yeah absolutely <laughs> and i think i think they had three other mcu films that were i i i felt really entertaining this year i thought black widow was great fun i thought shang chi was great mm-hmm. fun and i thought uh into the spot at night to the spider-verse that's you see that 
still Trump's <laughs> Trump's only Spider-Man film for me. Um, and no, yeah. uh, no way home. I thought we're all we're all great. I didn't dislike Eternals. I think I think there were some real long, sort of slow moments, but there's some really interesting things. I I, I um, there is something of a plot twist halfway through, which really did take me by surprise, uh, which I thought was very effective. Um, but yeah, to, um, like you say, it's slight, slight critical misfire. Um, I don't think it, it made quite the bank that some of the others would have done, but uh, be interesting to see where these uh, these characters pick up uh, later on. Well, this is a lot of people were talking about it because it was like one of the first major ensembles that wasn't established characters like you would have got with like the Avengers films, which is why they're so popular is because we know the characters or anyone they were introducing were, you know, you know what I mean? Whereas with Eternals, it was a case of here's a lot of characters you don't know, do it. And ensemble films, and ensemble films by nature, I mean, you've only got to look at Don't uh, don't Look Up recently. Yeah. It's that kind of thing where it's when they're an ensemble film, sometimes it's hard. It doesn't matter how much star power you put behind it. And in fact, the only film I was trying to think recently of the only like ensemble films that have actually performed really well and there's only a handful of them Ocean's Eleven being most notable um, it's that kind of thing where it's, you can't, I can't really think of massive ensemble films that perform re- whatever they, they perform well but they're not necessarily good films do you know what I mean yeah I get that yeah most definitely one other thing I did, I did just want to check in on because it's another kind of big franchise film that uh, crept in at the end of the year was uh, The King's Man I managed to get to see that between Christmas and New Year and how did you find that I found it really really quite fun it's a it's a marked improvement on the golden circle which just had a really really kind of nasty vibe about it i felt but <laughs> um this feels a little bit more fun a lot more emotive than than maybe i was expecting but i thoroughly enjoyed it Risa fans in full full scenery chewing mode <laughs> really really interesting medical scene between him and Ray finds at one point which will um, which will either amuse or bemuse some people but it was um, yeah it a fun time was had and uh, it actually features one of probably one of the tensest sequences of the year which I won't go too much into now but um, all I will say is uh, no man's land so when you get to see it you will know what I mean it was it was really really fun really entertaining so what we're going to do is we're going to move on to our top three films of the year we're not going to do them in any particular order these are i mean personally for me i can't pick between two of them as, as one and two um and all three of them were you know great entertainment really really great films in their own right and i know i definitely share one of my uh, top three with craig so we'll definitely get onto that particularly with a couple of the films that are in my list and in uh, craig's list that they were 2020 made films but because of the pandemic got their official general release in uh, 2021 so that's so first they qualify in the 2021 category so kev do you want to lead us off with your first of your top three films of the year Indeed, and I'll, and I'll say this one again in no specific order just because it was released the earliest and it was the much delayed. And funnily enough, I said on a podcast similar to this, our podcast, similar to this a year ago, I said um, I'm expecting this to be a highlight of one of my of my year. Uh, and it was, Promising Young Woman. <laughs> now, so that's... here's an interesting thing. It is yeah. Craig's number one film of the year. <laughs> <All right. laughs> and it was one of the two films vying for my number one spot of the year as well. So Wonderful. I know 
Chris was a huge fan of this film as well. But uh, we spoke about it at length. I think we're not on the podcast, didn't we? But the wonderful we yeah, Emerald Fennel, Carrie Mulligan, Bo Burnham, uh, Alison Brie, absolutely terrific. And yeah. it was um, yeah, again, again, it was it was much delayed. But um, I think you know it obviously played in the states, which qualified everything for the Academy Awards and the Baftas and everything this year as well, which was terrific. So it's kind of like been forgotten almost in a way. But when yeah. you remember it as being 2021, you're like, oh, it's great, great soundtrack, great performances. As I said we spoke about it at length, but it was uh, it was superb and stayed on but i i did call it didn't i you I did, did call it you, you called it you, you called it and you were absolutely correct and it was it was everything that you foresaw it would be and i would say even more um yeah there yeah, are only there are only two films released in 2021 that i went full five stars for and this was one of them i thought everything it did was was so well done because it not only does the comedy well that that it's that awkward comedy but it's that really well played awkward comedy it does the drama well and it has the message that needs to be heard and it needs to be it needs to kind of seep into into the consciousness and when i talk about my other of the top three films of the year both of these films struck that balance perfectly between being an absolute gut punch and absolutely gut bustingly hilarious um at the same time as well as being just you know enthralling movies so yeah i'm um yeah big big fan of that and i know craig agrees because it's his number one film of the year <laughs> good man now i'm gonna i'm gonna throw in craig's number two of the year because it's not a film that I've seen yet, but it's one that is very, very high on my uh, on my watch list. Things that I want to see, uh, and it's the Disney Plus exclusive, The Summer of Soul, uh, which was released last year, and yeah, yeah, it had really strong, uh, strong reviews. So the uh, so it's The Summer of Soul, or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised, to give it its full title, uh, directed by uh, Questlove, who. Uh, if you're aware of American TV, you'll know Questlove probably most famously as being the the lead of uh, of the band on the Jimmy Fallon show. But he's also a, a musician and a, a film writer and a, a filmmaker in his own right. And so the idea is that the same summer as Woodstock, uh, there were over 300,000 people attending the Harlem Cultural Festival uh, celebrating African-American music and culture and the list of people... Um, that were performing at the time is is incredible. So, uh, the list of incredible acts that were on during that time, and it's supposed to be absolutely incredible music. Seeing some of the greatest musicians of any era at the top of their game, um, and it's it's supposed to be a real life affirming experience. So I'm really looking forward to checking that out. And uh, Craig's obviously loved it because he's placed it at, uh, at number two. So, Kev, what is what is your next film on your top three? Okay, my next film on uh, top three, again, in no particular order, is something that I know that you liked. Come on, come on. Yes. Uh, wonderful Mike Mills directed, Mike Mills written, Whacking Phoenix and Woody Norman starring kind of like 
lovely black and white slice say slice of life it's just like like, like i think i said to you at the time yeah. um it was just lovely to watch joaquin phoenix being as great as he always is but in something that was a little bit lighter yeah and he actually got to see a side of joaquin phoenix on film that you don't normally see no. and i just fell in love with it from the moment i saw it and of course fell in love with little woody norman as a young child star is doing absolutely brilliant yeah i thought it was lovely i thought it was it was just warm like a big warm hug it was the surprise film at the london film festival so again i'd heard of it didn't really know much about it and then when i watched it i just completely loved it and um it kind of stayed with me it's one of those films as well that it's only you know if you'd have said to me when i left the auditorium that night that this would be one of my films of the year um i probably would have been like yeah i can see that and if you'd have told me that it wouldn't be i probably would have said yeah i can see that and the funny thing is is it kind of just sort of sticks with you um it's heartwarming profound and it's just lovely and it's just every now and then i think you need a film like this that i think you can probably put in your bank to kind of like dig out every time you're feeling a little bit low yeah. because it's just lovely it is know? yeah again a, a film a bit like licorice pizza a film not about much but about everything yeah. depending on how deep you want to feel you know? and it's his third film in my top three of the year as well Oh yes, man. Yeah. So there we go. So promising young woman and come on, come on are clearly in our top three. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the podcast top three. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, for me, I, I just have to echo everything you said there. I thought Joaquin Phoenix was was great. Uh, yeah, all the leads were wonderful. I like you say that rarely seen softer, funnier, more sensitive side of him. So it, it was great. He is one of my favourite performers. Full stop. I just think. I just think he he turns up every time and he's he's so great and it's just this really joyful uplifting experience now one of the things that i i kind of picked out of it um was kind of the fatherhood elements of it and how real that felt you know watching him discover fatherhood for the first time and and his discussions with his sister throughout the course of the film were both so true and so funny um really really heartbreaking and it just it literally finds those truths to the experiences of parenthood and the joy of joint term one kind of growing up because it really you know you know woody norman is so great in in kind of balancing those those sides of things that you get get the absolute joy and the absolute he is a you know he's a young boy at points and if you know you've got kids and they're tired and they're obstinate they don't want to do things they don't necessarily want to go to sleep at a particular time they will go wandering off because they're something catches their eye and and it's it's so honestly truthfully played and it is it is yeah definitely definitely in my top three of the year yeah, that relationship and everything it reminded me of one of that it'll be one of those films I revisit like I do from time to time the John Favreau Chef. I yeah. go back and look at that, and that was back in like 2014. So it's that kind of, you know, seven years on, we've got come on, come on. Yeah. I think it looks like, um, it, it's like, you know, let's just put this on. Because, like with Chef, you're watching it going, well, it's a film, so something's got to go wrong, something's got to happen. And there is conflict, and there is drama, and there is all this stuff in it. Yeah. But also, as well, life isn't always bad. You don't need to, you go along and watch films and go, oh my God, okay, well, this is, something's going to happen now. Yeah. Or anything, anytime something starts going right for a character, you're like, oh no, well, I know the way films work, something's going to befall them and it's going to be horrible. And sometimes it is, and sometimes it's not. And when it's not, sometimes it's more surprising and more lovely. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. So good, good stuff. Yeah, no, really, really great. Um, and so I'm going to go in with the last of Craig's uh, top three for the year. Um, oh, drum roll. Drum roll. Uh, this was his number three film, and it's 
one I purposely didn't mention during my highlights for the year because I knew it was coming up and I knew I was going to get a chance to uh, wax lyrical about this. It's uh, Sony Animation's uh, Mitchell's versus the Machines. Oh yeah, what a film! That's got to be out there, isn't it? As the that's uh, probably the biggest, you know, the best yeah. animated film. Of I, the year, I, right? I would a hundred percent agree with you there. And I actually looked at the nominees for the the Globes last night, and it's absolutely shameful that that has not been nominated. Whether it whether it didn't get a cinema release, so it wasn't considered, I don't know. But uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I think Encanto won as well, and there's fine. also Ron's got. Yeah, Ron's Ron's gone wrong. Didn't get a cinematic. Uh, sorry, didn't get a uh, any kind of no nomination indeed. list either. I, so yeah, it's bizarre. So it 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 could be a cinema yeah. thing. Well, I think it might be not with Ron's gone wrong. It did, so it did yeah. Get a Ron's gone wrong run, but... did get a cinematic run, and I I have no problem with Encanto. I I thought Encanto was was good fun. Um, we talked about it in the last episode. Yeah, really lovely, enjoyed lovely, lovely film, but. Ron's Gone Wrong came from nowhere, from a, a small British studio, and was was lovely. But the Mitchells versus the Machines, it's just further proof that when you you've got you had Lord and Miller particularly on your team, Sony Animation have really got a you know a good thing going on. The trailer for Across the Spider Verse Part One, there's going to be a Part Two as well. Looked great. And uh, and this was carrying on that that tradition, and the Mitchells versus the Machines was just such a lovely, warm, heartfelt film, genuinely hilarious. Uh, there was a real feeling, there was a real link between some of the the themes of Ron's Gone Wrong and the Mitchells versus the Machines. I thought there was there was real sort of similarity between the two. They could quite quite easily sit alongside each other as a as a double bill. Yeah, and Olivia, Olivia Colman was in both of them. And Olivia <laughs> Colman was in both of them, yes, indeed. <laughs> but yeah, it was to the point that, um, granted, I watched it at a time when um, I was probably slightly more emotionally uh, uh, emotionally sensitive, but it, it genuinely made me cry because the, the beauty of the development of the family's relationship, particularly uh, Katie's relationship with her dad in the film. Um, and it's, it's funny and the the craft in the animation as well it was was just fantastic it's that that the, the kind of augmented style where you've got the the cg animation and then overlaid with hand drawn animation and the different styles meshing and it was just beautiful a beautiful beautiful film and the furby sequence was just an absolute highlight that was probably the highlight of my cinematic year that sequence <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely brilliant so craig has played a blinder with his top three uh really really can't can't say enough good about mitchell's versus machines so, um again very very close to being a full five star film for me so yeah that was that was a really really good choice so kev do you want to go first, or shall I, for our final film of our top three? Oh, I, 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 you go first because I okay. went first last time. So I am gonna go in, and I, I, I made reference to the lead actor a little bit ago, so that might give you a little bit of a clue as to uh, as to the film I'm going for. Um, but I have gone for uh, another round, which I saw at the cinema earlier this year. So directed by Thomas Vinterberg. It's the story of four teachers who all attempt an experiment to see what life is like maintaining a certain level of alcohol in their system at any one time. So they've got this low level of intoxication. And what I found about Another Round is, and I, I touched on this when we talked about Promising Young Woman, is 
that it is both absolutely hilarious and one of the films I laughed the hardest at all year but the second half is absolutely devastating and it's so well played the person I went to see it with found it quite jarring I think because I was expecting I think I was I was anticipating something like that happening when it came it wasn't a surprise but it was so so well played um, and it's just the, this real real journey there's real kind of truth in all four of the, the, the main characters journeys you you really feel for them when things do take a dark turn you know not giving any spoilers away but it's worth being prepared when you watch it that that level of absolute joyous humor at the beginning doesn't doesn't stay but it becomes something just so beautiful and life-affirming and i absolutely absolutely adored it yeah i think i think it was a brave film to kind of go that because it, it, it's it's a great story and a great idea and you kind of feel yeah. that if hollywood had got hold of it first of all they would have turned it into some kind of comedy yeah and it's that kind of thing where it's you, you're right it's kind of i think the gimmick will get people that's what certainly enticed me in i was interested by this is like a really interesting idea i want to go and watch this i ended up seeing it on my birthday on my own so it was like the, the mid mid july i went to sit on my own and you're exactly right it starts off in a kind of okay this is going but it can't keep that up and no. it's certainly not going to be a film that's going to you're going to come away from thinking do you know what that's a really good idea i'm going to try and try yeah. and do it because it probably wouldn't be dissimilar to that if it, it like it was very it was very real even though the subject matter itself was a bit kind of like no you wouldn't do that really would you, you know that kind of thing yeah. it was it was very interesting it almost felt it felt justified though when you looked at each of them because you had one of them the, the philosophy teacher you could understand it because mads mickelson yeah, he, again having a fantastic year his his martin character you can understand because he's really he he's the one in the rut he's the the one having a like that really dull existence and something to to give him that excitement and and bring that kind of joyful life back to him yeah he was i i, I felt each of the uh, each of the four main characters their motivations for wanting to do it were all all felt sound there was almost and you would get those ones that would go yeah this seems like a really fun idea uh one of them going you know sod it let's try because i need something new in my life you've got the philosophy teacher who is uh you know who who wants to take the philosophical teaching and try and make something for it so yeah it was oh really yeah, yeah. Just, just just correct what i first said what i said just just now i suppose i didn't mean in the kind of sense of like um it, w- it wouldn't happen, it couldn't happen, because no, it very no. much could happen. And these characters there, I think yeah, what yeah. I was trying to say was, I suppose it wasn't, it, for a, it, I would probably say it was the most down-to-earth, high-concept film that yes. I've seen in a long time. Yes, absolutely. But yeah, no, I, I absolutely adored it. Right, Kev, cool. come on, lay it on us. Okay, what it's your... no particular order. <laughs> One of my three favourite films of this year, Shake the Room, guys, it's Tick, Tick, Boom. Lin-Manuel Miranda, um, wonderful Andrew Garfield, Golden Globe-winning performance now in jonathan larson's musical um which is uh you know if you'd have said to me at the beginning of the year one of your top films is going to be a musical yeah. um i'd have been like no and i've seen a lot of musicals <laughs> recently i saw managed to see in the heights and it, it's uh, and you saw west side story recently I, and I know that's had yeah. great reviews as well the thing about this tick tick boom is it's something about it that's very raw and very but no one will fault whether you like musicals or not no one can fault andrew garfield's performance in it and he deserves to win the golden globe which he's done for musical or comedy um but it wouldn't surprise me if it comes knocking on the academy's door um because it is great it's it's it i was 
in tears by the end of it. Um, and it, it's, it's great. It's one of the most powerful performances I've seen in musicals, which can sometimes, um, you know, can sometimes alienate some audiences. I think that um, it, it's well written, well performed, directed lovely, but it's also as well, it's like a cool musical. I suppose like that's what Lin Manuel Miranda does, isn't it? Lin Manuel yeah. Miranda, he, he kind of like, he does that thing where it's like he'll write you a musical or he'll direct perform a musical um you know or get the performances out of his actors um that's not quite main you know not quite what you're expecting he'll take something because tick tick boom as a musical has been around for a while but something that Lin-Manuel Miranda does with it is he makes it that he puts his shine on it yeah. you know and he went he went for broke when he did um in the heights which i liked a lot less but was still great you have to admire the effort and that craft and i think the two of them miranda and garfield i'm going to stop saying his full name now because i keep tripping over it miranda um and garfield um together worked so well and this film though it kind of dropped on netflix and almost at the time i think kind of like it, it was it was released one weekend and um and sort of like went under the radar a little bit i think people are finding it and word of mouth's getting it and it's certainly one of the highlights of the year certainly of the netflix year and people forget i mean with power of the dog um uh, and tick tick boom and, and a lot of films that netflix have released this year there's actually been the minority have been what i would say or certainly what the critics would say good films yeah. you know got the new sandra bullock film recently we had red notice which is one of the most downloaded films and all that kind of stuff um and, and you look at those and you think okay they're not they're like two three star films you know um this isn't me saying this is the critics saying it um mm. but there's always when it comes to this time of year you go okay to be fair netflix model still does work because i think a lot of people are starting to doubt netflix's model of you give everybody the money and go and let them do what they want and have little interference whereas some people were saying you know what i think you maybe studios are right sometimes when they pop in send the producers in to come in and say let's see if this is on the right track um this is one of those films that was they were left to their own devices and it delivered on what i think the actual netflix kind of model um was is trying to achieve so hats yeah. off to it and it deserves to win many awards and i think with west side story um in the heights and this i think in many respects the musical and, and hamilton obviously when that was filmed and put up on uh, disney plus last year i think musicals are kind of given a bit of a renaissance and this is uh, a great one to lead the way yeah oh that that's excellent and what a what a set of films that is between between the four of us as well some unusual choices and some absolute absolute banging choices as well uh but just wanted to to make the observation because craig uh sent us some of the things that just missed out for him for this year um and some of the things again that um that we've not even touched upon that we've loved and sung the praises of throughout the course of the year that i know me and craig touched on it in the last episode but no time to die was was an event this year that uh, early on in the year, I, I know all three of us absolutely adored the Sound of Metal. That was well, Sound of Metal. I think was what, at one point I thought was my film of the year, and yeah, yeah that would have been if, if we'd have done four, that would have definitely been in there. Films like uh, Nomadland and Minari that came around Oscar time. Craig was a big fan of Nicolas Cage's Pig and uh, the British horror censor as well that he's seen throughout the course of the year. So, and and then on top of that, you've got um, got films like The Green Knight that have, that's been really well regarded this year. I touched on the last episode with the Petit Maman was a really really lovely film. So, you know, I think twenty twenty one has been an absolutely brilliant brilliant year, and there's still there's still yet more films that have been made in twenty twenty one that are going to be coming out over the next few months. So, um, one of the favourites for the 
Uh, the best foreign language film is the Japanese film Drive My Car, which has been getting phenomenal reviews. So that's that's still to come. Um, uh, Titan had uh, really great reviews last year. So I think it's in terms of you know from from blockbuster cinema. Um, from nice surprises uh, you know I'll, I'll include nobody in that that was a, a great surprise this year looked like it could just be a, another kind of john wick light um, yeah yeah but was, that was really good i enjoyed that very much yeah the, the, a couple i've got as well i've just got spencer shout out to that it, it released it kind of didn't do as well as they thought it would yeah um the lost daughter wonderful performance from coleman maggie gyllenhaal directed there's going to be a lot of stuff with that come oscar time i think that's also yeah. one of those examples of good quality netflix stuff that went up at end of year palm springs love that yes. like, it went into this weird sort of subgenre of time loop comedies yeah. um th that was certainly up there when uh, many weren't i'm your man which is a wonderful dan stevens film with uh in german language absolutely terrific really enjoyed with that i think he was kind of competent speaking german but actually kind of like really got into learning german so he yeah. could perform that which is great no time to die bond was back he sort of saved cinema at least in the uk yeah. um and we spoke about ron's gone wrong and everything like that and of course if it qualifies and i suppose it does because cinematically it was released in the states the bo burnham inside which i think was one hell of an experience for many people yeah definitely definitely um yeah i managed to see spencer as well um great Kristen stewart performance i think the last two that i'm gonna i'm gonna just touch on uh, just because i think they they deserve they deserve a little bit of a mention in here it was king richard which i actually found a really really good film i i, I wasn't expecting much from it and i was thoroughly entertained throughout the, the course of it I thought it big was, will, big will got the globe for that didn't he yeah he did he did and uh the the better of the two ridley scott films from last year the last duel yeah. which again was just such a such a surprise uh, and really poorly marketed uh, but hopefully we'll gain that new lease on life now it's on disney plus yeah criminally unseen but it's all right because ridley scott doesn't hold a grudge and he was fine about it <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yes, indeed, indeed, and a, and a, a great year for a great year for Jodie Comer as well, because um, yeah, yeah, between you know between that and being in a, a bona fide box office hit like Free Guy, um, yeah, and thoroughly deserved because she is a she is a cracking cracking performer. So it's, it's bizarre, isn't it, that at the end of a year, like the Ridley, the most successful Ridley Scott film of the two will end up being The House of Gucci, and the most yeah. successful Jodie Comer film of the two will end up being Free Guy, when in fact yeah. The Last Jewel is probably the best of both of their output this year. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed 100%. I, I, I enjoyed Free Guy. I've seen it a, a number of times, uh, thanks to thanks to my daughter being a big fan of it. Um, but yeah, it's it, it it's a shame that it didn't get the attention it deserved. So yeah, uh, really, really thoroughly, thoroughly great year. I'm even re remembering some that I've seen throughout the course of the year, but I'm not, we're not going to get onto it. And what we're not going <laughs> to do, because we don't do negativity here, um, is we're not going to be going into a worst film of the year because um, I don't think there's any been anything that I have. Uh, there, there have been a couple of films that I thought were were substandard, but I've tried to enjoy and have fun with everything that I have this year. I think this isn't it. There's so much content out there now, and so many different ways of accessing it. That, yeah. to be honest, it's almost like I don't watch anything without knowing somewhat about it. So often, I think if I enjoy something less than something else, 
the fault lies with me. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? It's that kind of thing. You know, oddly, I don't do that thing where I go into a cinema. I'll always stay and I'll always watch whatever I'm watching. I'll see stuff through to the end to give it a kind of fair crack. But yeah, um, yeah I feel that there's so much out there now that it's almost like, you know, you, you can't just put something on randomly and then be surprised by it. But then again, maybe you can because I just made that point earlier on, didn't I, with Shadow in the Cloud. So Absolutely. it depends what you want. But uh, yeah, there's stuff I've enjoyed less, but certainly nothing I would call worse because, as we all know, nobody ever sets out to make a bad film, do they? So that wraps up our review of 2021. What a year. Uh, so we're going to be moving on to what's a year? We're going to be moving on to our review, uh, not our review, our preview of 2022 uh, in the coming episode. Uh, so I'm looking oh, forward yeah. to getting a chance for us to have a, have a bit of a chinwag about what we're looking forward to this year. And uh, yeah, so that's that's something to look forward to. So I think it's time to move on to our tracks of the trade. Uh, so if you listen to the last episode, you will know that Tracks of the Trade has, has changed slightly and that we now have our two uh, Spotify playlists, which I'll be sharing links for on our social media when the episode launches. So our two lists are the Tracks of the Trade Needle Drops and Tracks of the Trade High Score. Tr- uh, Tracks of the Trade High Score is our uh, our traditional one where we have all our pieces of movie score music from over the course of uh, cinema history, uh, pieces of music that we all love, and then Needle Drops is our newly incepted. Uh, basically, it's it's the songs element of it. So, uh, songs from films that maybe are not the obvious ones. Songs from films that really get us going. So, Kev, would you like to go first with your choices for tracks of the trade? Indeed, I'll start with my Needle Drop then. So, a track from a film with song words in, not score. Um, comes from uh, 2011 film Tyrannosaur, which was a Paddy Considine directed, Peter Mullen, Olivia Coleman, and Eddie Marsden starring bleak as hell drama which was absolutely exceptional quite unseen i think you might find it popping up on film four from time to time but if you've never heard of it i would strongly say seek it out because you will see that olivia coleman who at that time was doing a great deal of comedy was um was absolutely exceptional in it and you look at that and go yeah she's going to go on to win academy awards etc etc because she's great peter mullen's always good and any marson can play either the kind of lovable doofus or the most scary and sinister man you'll ever see um anyway if you watch the trailer for that and and the end titles, you would have seen, or heard rather, a wonderful song by the Leisure Society called We Were Wasted. And that's my needle drop selection. Um, it's brilliant and it's, you know, it wonderfully encapsulates what the film's trying to do, um, you know, thematically. And it's just great. It's a great song. It's cool. It's a cool song as well. So I would recommend that. Uh, and do you want my score as well? Yeah, we'll take your high score as well. Hey, and my high score then, my piece of score, is Harold Faltermeyer, a firm favourite of mine, we know from Beverly Hills Cop, uh, Top Gun, uh, etc. But this one comes from The Running Man, uh, a track called Medical Checkup. Uh, You'll find this on the deluxe edition of Running Man that was released quite recently. I think it's track 9, 80 synth, brilliant. It opens with, um, the reason I didn't select main title from Running Man is I love the main kind of tune, the main kind of rhythm and theme, but this one opens immediately with the theme from Running Man and goes into something a little bit more synthy sinister, uh, which is wonderful as well. So a wonderful piece of score, which reminds you how good scores used to be in the 80s, an era where many people regard uh, film scores being quite weak, which uh, I disagree with. So there we go. Medical checkup. So let's move on to the lovely Mr. Craig Woodfield's Tracks of the Trade. So 
And see, on purpose, there are certain films that I've not mentioned throughout the course of this episode uh, that came out in in the last year that aren't going to get mentions during Tracks of the Trade. See, it's almost like we've done it on purpose. So Craig's high score uh, is uh, from the brilliant Judas and the Black Messiah from earlier in the year. Another real highlight in a year of highlights. Uh, yeah, uh, Daniel Kaluuya again, absolutely killing it. Uh, so the score is by Mark Isham, and the track that he's picked is the Inflated Tear. For his needle drop, uh, Craig has gone to a, uh, a documentary that was released later in the year. It's a fantastic little cheat that he's done because we all know Craig, as uh, friends of him, his are he's a massive fan of Oasis, and he has picked from the. Uh, Nebworth Oasis documentary from earlier this year he's picked the amazing Live Forever which is the song that whenever it comes on reminds me of you boys so yeah that, yeah. that's a, a very very worthy worthy track to be added to Tracks of the Trade this time out so for my Tracks of the Trade this time round I have gone for something from Licorice Pizza because it has got an absolutely amazing soundtrack and it wouldn't surprise me if I try and sneak some more uh, songs from uh, the soundtrack in, in the future. Uh, but the one I've picked, because when it came on, it's first of all, it's a great tune. Second of all, it's, it's perfectly pitched 70s rock. And third of all, it reminds me very, very much of close friends of ourselves and the show, uh, Donna. Uh, it, it was one of her favourite songs of all time. It's Peace Frog by the doors and it's an absolute tune so that is getting put on the needle drop side of the play uh, playlist and then again doing uh, doing that thing where i try and theme it to the year one of the biggest talking points of the year was the release of the Zack snyder cut of justice league now uh, you know there are there are many people's differing opinions on the justice league but I have to say, there is there is one moment, because uh, the Junkie XL score is appropriately bombastic, and there is one moment of the score towards the end when the Flash is doing his thing. Uh, it's called At the Speed of Force. And as I was listening to it, uh, we all know from previous episodes, I love me a superhero score. It was just, it really, really caught my attention. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so that that's my choice for the episode. But, um, no, terrific, man. They're really good. I think we've got a really good playlist. I'm going to go back and listen, listen to those. So would you find yeah. the um, – this is this is for me. It sounds like I'm trying to kind of, like, you know, help people out on the podcast. But w yeah. does that mean they're on the same playlist or are they two different playlists? Two different playlists. So they oh, are wowzers, two completely man. new playlists, one with, uh, one with each of the names. So that's how you find them. Tracks of the Trade, High Score, and Tracks of the Trade, Needle Drops. Almost like the soundtrack, the soundtrack of the podcast. Listen to the podcast and uh, or listen to the soundtrack and go, oh, yeah, I want to go back and listen to that episode of the podcast. You know, wonderful. So we have come to the end of the latest episode of the Monkey See Monkey Review podcast. As I say, it's, it's great to be back and, and motoring again. Um, particularly after that particularly long break. Um, so it's been lovely to have both you, Kev, and Chris here today uh, sharing sharing your views. And as always, it's been an absolute delight to, to talk films with you. If you have enjoyed your time with us here on Monkey See, Monkey Review, if you could do us the hugest of favours for the new year, if you could have a look on Apple Podcasts, if that's where you got your podcast from, or indeed for Podchaser if it's on there, or if you could just find us on either of those and leave us a review, preferably a five-star one. A, it helps us to know that you're listening. And I've been absolutely delighted 
with uh, the fact that people are still coming back and listening to us since the last episode came out on uh, Christmas Eve. Cool. If you could leave us a review, that would be great. We are available on anywhere that you can get your podcasts from. But then you probably already know that if you're listening to this episode. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to get in touch with us, we are on Twitter at MSMRPod. We are on Instagram. If you search Monkey C Monkey Review, you will find us there. Uh, if you're on Facebook, if you search for Monkey See Monkey Review and make a request to join the group, the group's a little bit dormant at the moment, but we will add you in. And if we can get some good conversations going and I can get some more writing up there, that would be fantastic. Uh, both myself and Kevin are on Letterboxd. And what I will do is on the show notes, I will put links to both of our profiles if you want to give us a follow. See what we're watching, see what we're reviewing, see what we're thinking of things. It's a little bit of a spoiler before you get to an episode, but uh, <laughs> it's a nice way to, to connect with us both. In addition, if you want to get in touch with us via the traditional old email, we are msmrpod at gmail.com. So, that brings us to the end. As I say, Kev, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you again. No, thanks for having and, me. Uh, let's hope 2022 is as strong a year for film as 2021 was. All that remains for us to do is to say goodbye. 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 <laughs>